everybody. Welcome to the Game Changers Reality. We want to talk today about what is the reality for all of humanity, but particularly the Game Changers Reality. A couple years ago, I had the great and awesome honor of going to the Disney Leadership Institute. It was a great time. Got to stay at Disney, got to stay at the Grand Floridian, got to go behind the scenes. Everybody's a cast member at Disney. And when you're there, just, you know, publicly, you're in front of everything. Well, I got to go behind everything to see what was behind all the props. It was a cool time. We heard about the values of Disney. What a great time. And to boot, it was completely free for me. That was awesome. Spent the entire week there. They told us this story, though, that I will never forget. They said Disney went through a very dark time, that Disney lost their way, and things were not looking good for Disney. And then they said these words, here's the reason why. We forgot who we were. thought, how can you forget who you are? You're Disney. They said, Walt Disney was such a great storyteller that he reminded everybody through stories exactly who they were. But after he died, they ran on those fumes of that story, of that identity for years. But eventually it ran dry and they forgot who they were. Well, everybody, I want to talk about Acts chapter 2 today. Really important chapter in the Bible. Some people, theologian scholars say it's the birthday of the church. Others say, no, 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 wait a minute. It's not the birthday. And they're kind of in conflict with each other. But here's what. They all agree it's a big, big deal. So like, it's a big deal, right? Yes, a big deal. Birthday, not birthday. Who cares? It's a really big deal. Acts chapter 2 is a super big deal. Peter stands up and preaches the first sermon. What would he preach about? He would preach a sermon about what is most easily forgotten. This is what we want to talk about today. Now, I encourage you at some time, read the entirety of Acts chapter 2. I just want to go through the first number of verses, explain what's going on, and then I want to pick it up and read to you some verses that are really important from this very first sermon. Well, it says this, they're all together, they're in one place, they're praying, the Holy Spirit is poured out, poured out in all languages, and then it lists people who have come together from all over the world, all over the world, to be in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. Now, I want to remind you, what's the day of Pentecost? It is remembering the giving of God's word on Mount Sinai after the exodus from Egypt. So who's there? People have traveled hundreds of miles, and in some cases, according to what Acts chapter 2 says, thousands of miles Rome is almost 3,000 miles away, and it says people are there from Rome. Why? To celebrate God's Word. They have a passion for God's Word. These are the most devout people who are students of God's Word. I mean, they live and breathe God's Word, and they've come together from all over the world. So it's, it's so awesome. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we're going to Israel. We're taking an Israel trip. I got to encourage you. not saying you have to come with us. Right? I think we only have like three spots left on this Israel trip. I'm just saying, if you love God's Word, and that's who this message is today, to really grasp what it means to love the Word of God. If you love God's Word, please do yourself a favor and take a tour of Israel sometime. Go and see the southern steps where Jesus Christ stood on, where he taught from, the western wall, all of these wonderful places that are there. And so they gather together from thousands of miles away. They take weeks and weeks and weeks to travel there because they love God's word. Now, the table of nations. Almost every scholar will say the table of nations reminds you of Genesis chapter 10 and then, of course, Genesis chapter 11 because a table of nations is given there. 
What happens in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel? So you have this table of nations, this great diversity, and then in chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, this great uniformity. Genesis chapter 1, God creates diversity. Genesis chapter 11, humanity imposes uniformity. This is what we must remember about who we are. So I'm going to pick up Acts chapter 2, verse number 17. Peter's so important sermon here. Big, big day. Here's what Peter says. In the last days, he's quoting from the book of Joel. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Now it's the all people that catches our eye. We might be okay with that. I think kind of, sort of, maybe. We're going to get into that in a second. But for them, all people, now God's been saying that all along. He's quoting the book of Joel. What's the book of Joel about? They had made some serious wrongs. They had sinned grossly and a devastating judgment was coming. And yet at the last minute, as devastating this judgment was, there's going to be an even greater mercy. And God was going to pour out his spirit on all people. Not some people, all people. Not just me people, all people. Let's keep going. Your sons and your daughters, they're going to prophesy. Your young men going to see visions. Your old men is going to dream dreams, even on my servants, men and women. I know that doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but there again, all people, all people, young, old, men, women, all people, even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. What is happening here? Culturally. The Spirit of God, this is talking outside the Bible, the Spirit of God rested on royalty. Royalty was anointed by the very Spirit of God. Caesar was God, anointed by God. And what does that mean? It means God's glory rested on royalty. That's what everybody believed. And every different nation had their God. And God's hand, God's glory was only on the kings and the queens. In biblical times, God's hand was on prophet, priest, and king. And what Joel says is coming today when God's spirit, God's glory is on all people. People like me and people nothing like me. People I like and people who have a radically different perspective than me. Ah, here we go. This is what Peter is after. He's telling us a great truth. He's telling us a truth that will unleash the power of the Holy Spirit on the planet, because that's where we're working to in Acts chapter 2, the power of the Holy Spirit to be poured out. But the issue is we forget this reality about ourselves. Let's continue, and we'll get to that in a second. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of soak, smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord. Now that always threw me off. I mean, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, God's glory being poured out on all people. All of a sudden we're talking about blood, fire, billows of smoke. What does that mean? You know what that means? That means that something world changing is about to happen. That's what those words mean. So it's saying God's Spirit's going to rest on all people, God's glory on all people. And when that happens, this incredible world-changing event is going to take place, which is exactly what was prophesied in Joel 2 as happened in Acts chapter 2. Let's continue on. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, Peter speaking, listen to this. 
Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. One note to make right here. Jesus Christ went around healing and helping people who were great believers in his word and people who were not. Okay, so here's the situation, everybody. They were a very divided people. They were a very polarized people, and they felt absolutely great about it. I mean great. The most biblical people. Lepers, stay over there. I'm not going to associate with you. Not only am I not going to listen to you, have time for you, I'm not even going to around you. Women, divided from. Shepherds, divided from. Lepers, divided from. Gentiles, divided from. Tax collectors, divided from. The most spiritual people were the most isolated people. The most biblical people were the most polarized people, and they felt great about it. They felt like God says, yes, yes, you're doing the right thing. You know my words so well. Here's the thing, everybody. We have a reality. We forget exactly what God told us from the very beginning and what Christ came to show us so very clear. Now, let's go back to the Tower of Babel for just a second. Remember Acts chapter 2? Everybody says, has something to do with the Tower of Babel, table of nations, division, unity, all this stuff. What's going on with the Tower of Babel? It's a historical event. We know that in Babylon, one of the first greatest ziggurats that there ever was, this huge tower that reached up into the heavens. It's kind of funny because as they made this tower to reach to the heavens, and it says God had to come down to see it. So, they make this big tower. What's going on here? We know that that is true. We know that this is where empires began. We know that this is where imperialism began, a totalitarian government where beliefs and culture were imposed upon everybody around them that they were forced to believe a certain way. And God's saying no. So what happens in Genesis 10? God creates diversity, which brings glory to God. And what does humanity create? Humanity creates an imposed uniformity. Isn't this fascinating that in Iran, where you have a government that imposes a religious belief upon people, that their attendance rate at the mosque is slightly lower than America that has freedom to choose what you want to do and we have a slightly lower. Isn't that fascinating? You would think that if you imposed your belief on other people, you get a bigger bang for your buck when actually you get less. And Babel is about imposing belief on somebody else. It's about this imposed uniformity. There's an old saying, that when man mints coins, all the coins come out the same. But when God mints an image, we all come out different. God celebrates diversity. Joel 2, Acts 2 is radically inclusive. I know everybody, we talk about how radically exclusive Christianity is, but it is the most radically inclusive. It just shows this inversion that we spin all the time on our understanding of exactly who we are. Remember Disney World? They forgot who they were. We forget game changers. Our reality is, is we forget who we are. We think that we are going to isolate ourselves from other people who aren't like us, who have a different perspective and opinion or religious belief or no belief, whatever, from us, and that somehow that means we are more holy, that we know our Bibles better. And what Peter is reminding them of is the power of the Holy Spirit is poured out when you are around people who are nothing like you and still you are acting like Jesus. Listen, I can talk Jesus all day long with people 
who are just like me. But spirituality is measured by people who can act like Jesus when they're around people who are nothing like them. This is what Peter is saying, and this is when the Holy Spirit is poured out. Now, Adam and Eve forgot that. If you look back at Genesis chapter 3, you see three times they clearly forgot the Word of God. They suffered from amnesia and forgot. Noah forgot. Abraham and Sarah forgot. Everybody forgot. All these covenants and people forgot and they forgot and they forgot. Jesus is the only one who did not forget. He lived it out. He was with all people. People that the most religious people of the day wouldn't have any time. They wouldn't listen to him. They wouldn't learn from them. They wouldn't be anywhere around them. And yet Jesus was. He's the only one who embraced the true identity of what it means to be a human being in the eyes of God. And what do they do to him? They crucify him. What do we do to Jesus? We crucify Jesus when we polarize ourselves in the name of God. When we pull away from other people and talk badly about other people in the name of God. When we demean and condescend people in the name of God. That is crucifying Jesus Christ. This is what Peter is saying here. Now, I've said this many times. The most popular prayer in all the Bible, I know we have the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, extremely popular. But before the Lord's Prayer, there was the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. The first word most accurately is translated, listen. Listen to understand. And Jesus Christ probably prayed that prayer at least twice a day, every day of his life. And that is a perfect example that all of us should be followers. Again, this message is to people in Acts chapter 2, to the most devout, to the most biblically deep people ever who have traveled hundreds and thousands of miles because they love God's word so much. And as we follow Jesus Christ, he is praying this prayer every day, and so should we. It starts, listen. We listen to understand. As Jesus' brother James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Are we listening to understand? Are we listening to respond? Or are we just not listening at all? Spirituality is measured by, is there a diversity? Jesus looks down from heaven and says, my true followers are in communities that are radically diverse. Like if there isn't a radical diversity of opinion and politics and beliefs and all of those things, then that community is not spiritually deep. It's where there is isolation and imposed Babel uniformity that that does not bring glory to God. It doesn't, doesn't bring glory to God quick to listen, slow to speak. There's all kinds of difference. Now, something happened just recently in our city, Washington, D.C. The Washington National Cathedral invited Max Lucado. Now, listen, if you've been going to church for a long time, if you're a big Bible believer, then you know the name Max Lucado. How couldn't you? The guy's written a million Christian books. They invited him to speak. But some people found a sermon that he preached in 2004 that was extremely critical of the LGBTQ community. And so people rose up and they said, absolutely not. He can't, he can't come here. And Max Lucado, he issued, he issued a statement asking for forgiveness. He said, you know what? I still believe the way I believe, but I came across in such a mean and condescending way. And I asked you in the name of Jesus Christ to forgive me. That was awesome. But there's more to the story. The Dean of the cathedral, who clearly has a different biblical belief about LGBTQ. Then Max Lucado also issued a statement. Check this out. You got two guys, total different belief, 
Here's what the dean says. When we only engage with those whom we agree on every issue, we find ourselves in a dangerous and lonely place. My hope is that all churches and faith communities will find ways to open their doors to perspectives different than their own. Here you got two guys. That is true, deep, powerfully deep, most profoundly deep biblical leadership, Christ-like leadership, willing to come together, willing to listen, willing to learn from each other, willing to act like Christ, not condescend. That's why you see Jesus. He is constantly surrounded by people who are so far from the Bible, yet he doesn't condescend them. He doesn't come down, but the most religious people, what do they do? They're angry at Jesus. How can you be around them? How can you listen to them? What we need today is deep, profound, biblical leadership. Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. This is what Peter says. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut right to the heart, said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, here it comes, important moment, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and here we go, and you will receive the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. Baptism is a firm decision, a public decision, but I want to focus on the word to repent. It means to turn around. It means to go the other way. And here's what I want to ask you. This, again, this is being preached to the most Bible-believing people there are. They've traveled hundreds, in some cases, a thousand miles to Jerusalem to celebrate God's word. They love God's word. And it is those people, the most Bible-believing people, that Peter says, look, I need you to remember something. You got to repent. You got to turn around and you got to repent of what? You got to repent of your amnesia. This is why he takes them through this history of who they are, starting way back in the book of Genesis until Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the only one who remembered his true identity and then showed us. That's why Hebrews says he's the final word. So why am I here at Great Falls Park? Why has Ben brought me out here to Great Falls Park, Maryland side? Because we are out here, there's a big wide path and there's a narrow path behind me. And you know what? The difference is this, on the wide path, there's always going to be a lot of people, but on the wide path, we can spread out. We can be all isolated. I don't have to worry about, but on the narrow path, there's still going to be a lot of people and it's going to be frustrating because I got to get right up close and I got to listen to perspectives and deal with people that I, I don't agree with. And what am I going to do? I'm going to have to rely on the power of the spirit. Listen, one of the most important times of my life, Bible college, I was around people just like me. Seminary, I was around people who weren't anything like me. And I had to rely, I said, Jesus helped me all the time. Holy Spirit helped me. Give me the spiritual horsepower to be loving, patient, kind. That's what the fruit of the spirit is. So when you're around people who aren't like you, you're going to have to rely on the Spirit more. And maybe that's why in Acts chapter 2, because as they relied on Jesus and the example he said, and on the power of Christ at work in our lives, that the Holy Spirit is poured out. And boy, do we need that. We need the Holy Spirit to be poured out. Hey, everybody, God is calling his church to be the difference makers, calling his church to lead the way, to bring people together. I don't think the news networks are going to do it. 
I'm not sure our political parties are going to do it. I'm not sure our social media giants are going to do it. But sure enough, as I read through the scriptures all over the place, it tells me this, that in Jesus Christ, Colossians, he holds all things together, even those who are radically different. God is calling us together together, even when we're on paths that are very narrow and they're filled with all kinds of obstacles and it's frustrating. You know, Ben and I are out here. Ben was running all around the parking lot today trying to get bug spray because there's so many bugs out here. I don't like bugs. I don't like camping. Well, I do like camping. I like camping when it's in a nice hotel somewhere. I don't like bugs. He got somebody to spray a bunch of bug spray and a little Ziploc bag and I put it, it's all over my hair right now. Bugs. Does anybody in your life bug you? When things are bugging you, you need more spiritual horsepower, not less. It is easy to be around people where you're uniform with. That's the Tower of Babel. It is difficult and you have to rely on the power of the Spirit to give you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That's why Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're one body, many parts. And then what does he talk about? One body, many parts. You need the power of the Spirit. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 12. What does he say in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter? You need the power of the Spirit and the power of love when you are around many different parts. And yet in our world, as in their world all those years ago, that we think the most biblical, spiritual, deep people are the people who pull off in isolation and they're all, okay, all like me. There's a, there, there's a minister here in the United States of America, deeply spiritual. He's respected as a deep Bible person. And he has isolated himself so much. And when he preaches, he preaches against all kinds, of, even people in the Christian community. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. And people listening to him are like, yeah, preach it, brother. Preach it, brother. You know why? Because it makes us feel good. Here's a good biblical word for you. It makes our flesh feel good makes our own selfishness feel good. You know where it takes true spiritual horsepower is to be like Jesus, who is in an atmosphere with all kinds of different types of people and yet is still loving, patient, kind, forgiving. Forgiving? To do that takes tremendous reliance on the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what God is calling us to do. God is calling his church, followers of Jesus Christ, to rely on his power. I had somebody say to me one time, he said, hey, listen, I heard about Grace Community Church. I'm thinking about coming to Grace Community Church, but I, I just want you to know something about me first, which was really helpful to hear what what's okay. So tell me about yourself. I said, I really value diversity. Like I really value tolerance. Um, I, I I value a whole degree of perspectives. I think it's so important that that we have multiple perspectives and 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 diver all that and they went on I said that's okay that's great and then the, now here's the kicker then they said and so before I come to grace I just need to know this because I can't sit in a faith community that doesn't have the same belief that I do I just I just can't do that and I said okay let me just repeat back what you just said you really value diversity as long as those Adverse opinions are not diverse from your own. And to their credit, they said, that does sound a little strange, doesn't it? Listen, uh, we're a church for people who don't go to church. For 20 years now, uh, we feel like God has called us to be a place that's welcoming to all people. Because that's what his word talks about. And so we want to create a welcoming place for people, all faiths, 
all backgrounds, people who've been burned and bored by church, hadn't been to church in a long time, people who've never been to church before, people who come in and say, I don't believe there's a God. People come in all kinds of beliefs. And I've had so many people over the course of these 20 years come to me and say, you know what? Grace is such a healing place for me. I was burned by church. I was bored by church. Or I, I said I would never go to church. I've never been to church in my life. But I heard about grace. To church being one to church. And I came. And God, God healed me. God made me whole. And now I love God's word. And I love Jesus. And I love Jesus so much that I feel like now it's time to leave and go and be just with other people who believe just like I do. You see, they believed 2,000 years ago and they believed 4,000 years ago and we believe today. This inversion, we have amnesia and we need to repent of who we are. We're like Disney. We have forgotten who we are. Our spirituality is not measured by our uniformity. Our spirituality is measured by our diversity. That's what God measures by when he looks down because God creates diversity and humanity imposes uniformity. Listen, I am a notorious forgetter. I just forget all the time. It's amazing how much I forget. I forget some of the most fundamental things. When Chris and I were first married, somebody gave us an alarm clock and that alarm clock sat at the bottom of our bed for decades. Okay. And about three or four years ago, we got rid of it. It hasn't, it hasn't been there. Do you know what we do? We wake up in the morning. Sometimes Chris will say, what time is it? I'll look right down to the end of the bed. And I don't mean that I just did it for the first week. I mean, to this day, I still do it. And sometimes, even some mornings, this actually happened a few weeks ago. She said, what time is it? I looked down at the bed. It was gone. I'm like, ah, the clock hasn't been there forever. And 15 minutes later, she said, hey, what time is it now? I did the same thing. We are notorious forgetters. And that's why the book of Deuteronomy that Jesus quotes more than any other book over and over and over again says, remember, 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 remember. What is the single most invoked reason to follow the commands of God? The single most invoked reason is remember. Remember, we are notorious forgetters. We need to repent of our amnesia. And if God's people repent of that and remember who we are, oh man, we can thrive. Don't take the wide path where you can be all spread out and it's easy and there aren't bugs around to bug you. Take the narrow path. God wants to bring people together even when it frustrates us so that we can rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to work through our lives. Genesis chapter 1. God says we're created in his image. That's a really important point. You know what? I can get there. It's hard, but I can get there. Okay, I'm creating God's image. But here's, here's the second hurdle that many of us have difficulty with. Because after you hear that everybody's made in God's image, then violence breaks out. And people are killing each other. So God says in Genesis 9, hey, remember this. Not only are you creating God's image, but the person that you can't stand, the person that's bugging you, person that's bumping shoulders with you as you go up the path over here. It's too tight and they're frustrating you. Remember, they're creating God's image too. It's really important to know that they are created in God's image and God's glory, God's spirit is on them too. Now I want to end with this story that I think is really, really important. Patrick Salveri, Big Pat, Pat, who's been at Grace almost since the first day. Pat and I have been here at Grace almost 20 years together. Pat and I are in a Bible study for the past 10 years. Last Wednesday night in Bible study, we were talking about the verdict that came down out in Minnesota. And we always go around and pray, right? We, we say, 
here's what I'd like to pray for. And then one other guy prays for you when it came Pat's turn. Pat, who has had his own issues with racism, with people treating him in a racist way, with people profiling him, with bad experiences with the police. He said on that Zoom that night, he says, listen, I I really want you all to pray for Officer Chauvin. When I saw him today at that trial, he looked so lost and alone and hurting and isolated. Can we pray that God would bless him? Can we pray that God's hand would be upon him and would watch over him? I thought, man, that, that is Christ-like, godly, deep spiritual leadership right there. We need more of that. Again, everybody, God's calling his church to lead. I'm not sure the news networks are going to do it. I'm not sure our political parties are going to do it. I'm not sure our social media giants are going to do it. But I sure enough am absolutely sure from Acts chapter 2, that Peter reminds us we need to remember our reality and our reality is we are forgetters and we need to repent of our amnesia and come back. And when we do, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out in a mighty, mighty way. So everyone, today we're celebrating communion. I want to encourage you, please go get some something to eat, something to drink, because today's communion really drives home today's message, Acts chapter 2, in what Peter is saying in this first great sermon. So as you prepare, I just want you to be thinking about these things that we have spoken about today, because this is about the forgiveness of sins in the welcoming by God for all people. And I just got to tell you, everybody, we talk about forgiveness like it's nothing today. Oh yeah, I believe in a God of forgiveness. Listen, here's what you need to know. They had no concept of a God of forgiveness outside of the biblical text. Nobody in those days, when Jesus walked on earth, celebrated communion, the Last Supper, nobody believed outside of the Bible that God forgives. The gods punished. Even if you did everything perfect, the gods might still punish you. But if you messed up, it was over. That's the way the gods were, except for the God of the Bible who forgave and who forgave generously all people. So this is what I want you to hear today. About 15 years ago, I was reading one of what is considered one of the best scholars on the book of 1 Corinthians. And I want to add this here, okay? A very conservative, very conservative scholar who really did their research on what it was like in their world. Now, here's the thing, everybody. Communion was a meal. It wasn't just a piece of bread and something to drink. It was a whole meal. And today, in some circles, we say, no, 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 you can't participate in this meal. Not until you're uniform with us. Once you're uniform with us, then you can participate in this meal. And this is what this very, very, very conservative Bible scholar said as they studied the book of 1 Corinthians and as they studied... The ancient world 2,000 years ago. Hospitality would have told them you would never do that. You would never bring somebody in outside of your community into your home for a meal and say, sit over there while we eat this meal without you. You would never do it. Everybody is invited to come and experience the forgiveness and the generosity of a loving God whose hand is upon everybody's life, who has stamped all of us with his image 
come and experience the abundance of God. There's no scarcity in God. It is when we experience God's love that transformation happens. It's not when we impose our beliefs and try to place fear in people that transformation happens. No, no. It happens when people experience the abundance of God's goodness, His love, His mercy. Don't doubt the power of the Spirit. Don't doubt the power of God's love to transform a life. So on that night, we're told that Jesus Christ takes bread and he breaks it and he takes a cup and he said, this is my life. What is all that saying? That my love doesn't have any limits as it pertains to you. My mercy, my grace, my forgiveness. No God, no God ever was described that way. And yet we talk about it today so easily. Why? Because we're introduced to it in the pages of the Bible that God loves us unconditionally. And we come together in this meal that is open for all people to experience the life-transforming love of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness and the truth of God. Let us pray, and then we're gonna eat and drink together. Almighty God, thank you so much for your profound love and your magnificent word that God, it is by the power of your spirit and your word that our lives are truly transformed. Bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup to your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat and drink together.